The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. It is time for Break the Business, where we empower indie creators and have some fun along the way. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. What a tremendous, fantastic, unbelievable show we have for you this week. If you are a fan of empowering indie creators and you want to take that fandom all the way to the halls of Congress, then you have come to the right show, folks. Great show, lots of great topics this week, and our guest this week, coming up after the break, U.S. Congressman Ted Deutsch, the representative from Florida's 22nd District, is going to talk to us about the American Music Fairness Act and how we can get creators like you paid when your music is played on the radio. We're also going to talk to him about some other laws he's putting together that are right up the alley of empowering indie creators. He's definitely a friend of the indie creator. And we're excited to talk to him a little bit later in the show. But before we talk to him, let me bring on an equally impressive American statesman, our co-host this week, Zach Sloan. How's it going, Zach? You know, I have been called many things, um, and a statesman is by far the biggest insult. And uh, no, and not an insult to me, <laughs> an insult to every state an which insult. I've ever set foot in. Uh, Do we or- still make statesmen? <laughs> Like, does anybody have statesmen on their resume anymore? Is that a job title that's still available? Did we stop making statesmen in, like, 1810? I'm going to put it on my resume now. When when Ryan Carella decrees it, it is true. And so I am now a statesman. So you're you're welcome, world. Blame (laughs) blame Ryan. That's right. Great to see you, my man. Uh, It is always a fun time when you're co-hosting. Love getting the perspective of a working indie creator, musician, producer. It's it's just a joy having you on here every single time. And I'm glad I'm going to have you here to interview the congressman because I'll be honest, I'm a little nervous. Glad to have a friend by my side while we talk to Ted Deutsch later in the show. Oh, yeah, because I'm always the best second interviewer. Do you remember when we interviewed one of the founding members of NWA and I just sat there like, oh, my goodness. Oh, my God. I can't believe this is happening. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm not the best interviewing man. Well, good. I feel I feel even better now. Thank you. My nerves completely assuaged because uh, I, I got I got you by my side on this one. I, I got to say, last few days, Zach, I have gotten pretty obsessed with the Olympics coverage. And I don't understand, like, so, like this time of year when the Winter Olympics starts, suddenly I start giving a damn about curling and slalom. And I'm from Miami. We don't have any of these sports anywhere near us for at least a thousand miles. But NBC gets me every four years. I start caring about figure skating and Super G, and they got me again. I know you're a new dad, Zach, so your time is super limited. Have you checked out any of the Olympics coverage? I'm going to let you know. uh, About four years ago, the Winter Olympics were happening, and I found out because you've talked about it on the podcast. (laughs) Um, Is Break the Business your sole source of Olympic news every four years? Is that what's going on? I'd say BTB brings me two things. Uh, Eurovision updates and Olympic updates. I'm glad you brought up Eurovision, by the way, (laughs) because 
The one thing that I've enjoyed the most from the Olympic coverage, my friend, has nothing to do with the Olympics itself, even though I've just been enraptured by the events. What I've enjoyed seeing the most are the commercials on the Olympics for the American Song Contest that is starting in March. Basically, it is going to be the American version of Eurovision. Now, you know me. I am pretty vocal about being the biggest Eurovision fan on the west side of the Atlantic. And so the idea of taking the American Euro or taking the Eurovision Song Contest, where every country of Europe competes against each other to basically create the best song and it's campy and it's delightful and it's poppy and delicious. And now we're going to do an American version of that where it's going to be all the states competing against each other. I've been waiting years for this. I'm so excited. Sign me up, and I would like to pitch, repitch my original Eurovision idea of fantasy Eurovision to fantasy American state song contest. Um, I don't see why this has to be mutually exclusive. I the idea of a some kind of fantasy Eurovision that we do on this show, I'm a thousand percent on board. I don't think we have to choose between the American that's Eurovision and the European one. I'll do it twice again. I am the biggest Eurovision fan. Now I'm still holding out hope that you are going to be Colorado's representative in the American Eurovision. I still, th I think sign-up is still going on. Like, make this happen for us. I know you got a great song, like, somewhere in, the, in your brain, and I would love nothing more than for you to represent Colorado. Like, I'm a Floridian. Our producer, Lauren's a Floridian. Ted Deutsch is a Floridian. But I think all of us will become, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Honorary Coloradans. <laughs> If our friend Zach Sloan is going to represent his state in the American Song Contest. You know what? I've got some stuff kicking around. I'm, it's, it's wild. I do have playing material now because I'm also the lead guitar player in a separate band called Dear Marsha. So I've been writing a bunch of my own stuff and not releasing it because I've been doing shows with them. So I do have some songs floating around in the ether. But here's the thing. Anybody yeah. who's ever listened to a Colorado song, like I am not campy enough for a Colorado song. And I got to ratchet that up. Well, uh, this is actually my biggest concern about American Eurovision, because what makes the European Eurovision, the original Eurovision, so delightful is it doesn't take itself too seriously, right. and it's super campy, and you get a little bit of every genre, right? You're going to get death metal, and then you're going to get some like weird poppy thing, and then Iceland comes out, and it's like xylophones and stuff, and it's just delightful, and, it's, and it doesn't take itself too seriously— and it's delightful camp. I don't know if America is capable of that. You know, we because we we take yeah. ourselves too seriously. We don't get silly. And so I'm afraid like this is just going to be American Idol in all 50 states and we're going to lose the magic. I hope that doesn't happen. It's got, you know, it's got to be. And I think you've distilled it. It can't be American Idol via state uh, competition. No. Yeah, um, that would be terrible. Unless I'll tell you, what, I will sign up if we can get Steven Tyler back on as a judge because he's one of my favorite rock and roll singers of all time. And he's completely insane. So I would love to see those two. Th <laughs> I would love that to happen. Yeah. Um, but I suppose he could just judge, you know non-American Idol style as well. This is the um, other thing I'm hearing about American Eurovision that I'm concerned about, and I swear, viewers and listeners, this is my last comment on Eurovision. We have a lot no, of I great stuff going. to talk. Yeah, maybe people like Eurovision. I, I've been trying to get people to love Eurovision as much as I do in this country because to me, it's my Super Bowl. It's such a fun competition. But what I think, another thing that makes European Eurovision so great is the way that the voting works or the scoring works. Mm -hmm. So... Most of the score is determined by each country's own judging panel, 
voting for its top 10 countries and it can't vote for itself. So part of what makes Eurovision great is watching the geopolitical alliances arise and, you know, knowing that, for example, like, you know, uh, you know, the the Eastern European countries are never going to vote for the Western European countries and vice versa. So you get like a little bit of geopolitics in it, which makes it fun. So I could just imagine like the Alabama judging panel being like the day I vote for Massachusetts. But yeah, I was on, it's just going to look like an electoral map. <laughs> exactly right. But I don't think they're doing it the same way. I think it's just a single judging panel. And that's a mistake to me. Like, that's I want to see the regional alliances form. Yeah, I was only half joking about um, Steven Tyler. If, if Steven Tyler could be like, <laughs> I think let every state produce their biggest, their best songwriter. However, they want to me- measure that. I don't care. Let that yeah. be the judge. And I'll just, I'll just say, Massachusetts can pick Stephen Tyler. I'm just throwing it out there. Um, and then let them do the voting because I want the geopolitics and I want the insanity of like rock stars with the biggest egos of all time. And I think that's going to be the perfect storm to make this. Um, what's the word? Explosive. Explosive. It's going to be wonderful. So, but like Eurovision season is essentially coming up because March. We get the American Song Contest. April, May, June is when regular Eurovision comes around. It's going to be a fun time to be around Break the Business is what I'm saying, because we have uh, coverage. I've already put in an interview request for a couple Eurovision contestants, and so I'm hoping those happen sometime this summer. All right, enough Eurovision talk, or perhaps not enough. But Can I, can I make a joke? Yes, you may. <laughs> I love how you referred to Eurovision as your Super Bowl the week of the actual Super Bowl. It's Super Bowls this week. Oh, so I've been thinking too much about Eurovision. <laughs> Look, do I want to watch the Bengals play a football game or do no. I want to watch a bunch of Icelanders playing the accordion and the xylophone? Like, it's not even a choice, people. Touche. Got some entertainment law news this week. Why did you judge me? You killed innocent people. The means to an end. You started a massacre. I caused the revolution. You betrayed the law. Thank you, Mr. Asante. I haven't played that sound effect in so long. People are so lost. When I first started tuning into this podcast, that was my favorite thing that you you all, because you had a segment, you and Metal Dave had a legal segment, and you opened it with that like every week, and it always made me so happy. I know. We got to bring the old podcast stuff back. So you see, folks, whenever we talk about entertainment law news around here, we have to play the Judge Dredd quote, and so that's where that comes from. And boy, do we got some entertainment law news this week. We're talking about NFTs. I can't think of anything that's happening in the music industry right now, Zach, that is more polarizing, more jetsy and sharksy right now than NFTs and the current discourse about this. Like, before we get into the story, have you sort of formulated any thought of what you think of NFTs in the music industry in principle? I have no idea. Right? This there's this weird part of me that thinks maybe I just don't understand it like I need to, and then there's another part of me that says. But this is all ridiculous, right? I don't know. I really don't know. I saw that Paul McCartney, like, hey, Jude, went out for like $76,000 as an NFT, so, um, which struck, struck me as low. But I don't know if I have an opinion because I don't know if I'm all that informed. And I hope, Ryan, you can, or Ryan, you can alleviate that for me. I don't know is a perfectly acceptable answer. <laughs> and I would say that's probably where I'm sitting on it, in as much as. Though I have tried to study up on what NFTs are and the impact they'll make on the music industry, I can't tell you one way or another whether this is a 
value add to the business or if it's going to be something that hurts the industry. And I think the answer is yes. And it's both. (laughs) Yes. Because I, I have firsthand worked on a few legal matters where I've seen a lot of potential for NFTs. And I've read a lot of stories of indie creators making a decent living with NFTs or starting to scratch the surface of that. When I think of somebody like Jonathan Mann, who uh, wrote the song for this podcast, who's doing great stuff with NFTs right now. I've seen artists who are attaching NFTs to things like concert tickets and meet and greets to kind of create like special digital special edition albums. So I've seen NFTs work and I think there's potential. Here's the problem. There's also a dark side to this NFT world. There are a lot of providers out in the marketplace who are basically using NFTs in a way that is not creating value and in a lot of ways is stealing the intellectual property of indie creators. And case in point, we have a couple stories of allegedly shady NFT platforms that have allegedly engaged in activities where they are taking the intellectual property of indie creators, putting it on their platform, slapping the NFT letters on it, and using it to build their platform without the artist's permission. So a couple stories about this. So first, we have this company, HitPiece. HitPiece is a marketplace where they purport to allow people to buy and sell NFTs of their favorite songs. So you go on that website, it's like, oh, look, there's a Taylor Swift NFT. I'm going to, you know, I want to buy and sell that. Bob Dylan's here. The Beatles are here. Man, how did HitPiece get all of these amazing artists to license their material for their platform? Oh, that's right. They didn't. (laughs) And so, but they were using these names to get, and in a lot of cases, like the platform doesn't actually, not only do they not license the music, they don't even have the music, right? They're just sort of putting those names up there and then they'll build the NFTs later. I guess if there's a demand for them, it's not even completely clear. What is clear is that they were putting these artists on their platform and a bunch of indie creators, like just, you know, folks like in the Zach Sloan category, who just, you know, went on the platform one day and said, wow, why is one of my songs on these platforms? I don't recall authorizing this. And uh, it created so much bad press on Twitter because the indie music community just came down on this platform that now the platform is shut down. But not before the RIAA, the Recording Industry Association of America, hit hit piece with a cease and desist letter and, uh, you know, telling them to, to stop what they're doing. Now, Zach, you know, you're an attorney as well, so you might have been acquainted with the the two kinds of cease and desist letters. There's the stop what you're doing right now cease and desist letter where it just says stop it. And then there's the stop what you're doing right now. This is what I, the second one is the cease and desist letter that sh- strikes fear into the heart of every attorney. It's the stop what you're doing right now cease and desist letter and we would like an accounting of all of the profits yeah. you have accumulated on this platform. Because <laughs> that letter means, yeah, stop right now so you don't damage yourself any worse. But also, we're definitely going to sue you. Mm-hmm. So let us know how much we're going to be able to get from you in damages. And that's the cease and desist letter that they got from the RIAA. Because, yeah, a lot of intellectual property is getting uh, taken by these platforms. We've talked about this on the podcast before. We had a listener question that was talking about making NFTs. And one of the things that we talked about on the show was you can't make an NFT with intellectual property that you don't own. If you don't own the rights to 
a, uh, a piece of intellectual property, you can't make an NFT out of it. Similarly, if you don't, you know, if you put Taylor Swift's name on your website, you're violating her trademark rights. Right. You're violating her right of publicity. Uh, you're appropriating her name, image, and likeness. That's what we lawyers like to call a tort. And so you are just, you know, it's basically a first-year law student's menu of intellectual property offenses that you've committed by putting up a platform like this. So, yeah, you better believe the RIAA and a bunch of other platforms are going after this. Uh, a bunch of other groups are going after this platform. Well, and was the first clue not that they were called a hit piece? I mean, <laughs> doesn't that sound like a bad joke from Entourage? Like, okay, I did it myself. But, like, that that is not – that is a terrible name. And they deserve to be sued for that alone. Uh, second, I would love it if one of my NFTs, like one of my songs, turned up as a random NFT like this. Because I could at least be like, hey, somebody gives a crap. That's awesome. Well, you know? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, then I would I, sue. But, um, yeah, I was about to say, like, I feel like you're going to look at that and be like, ooh, I guess uh, my fir- my kid's first year of college is paid for. This yeah, is le- good. Let me, let me rephrase. <laughs> I uh, would love that because I register my copyrights. <laughs> yeah, that's my boy. Love it, love it, yeah, and yeah, you're you're absolutely right. If you name your company Hit Piece, like it sounds like you're doing something shady. That is a that is a that has shady startup written all over it. But they're not the only one that's attracting a lot of negative attention lately. Uh, Hit Piece's webpage, by the way, is down now. They're pivoting, as they like to say in startup <laughs> parlance. But there's another platform that's attracting some negative attention as well, called NFT Music Stream, which uh, is doing a lot of the same kind of thing. They have uh, been accused of scraping data from third-party streaming services to mint NFTs without artist permission. And another situation where a bunch of indie creators were reaching out to this platform and saying, hey, stop doing this. You don't have, I haven't licensed you the right to do this. You can't use my name. You can't use my likeness. You can't use my album cover on your webpage. You can't use my music. This is pretty clear violations of of my intellectual property rights. And what I think is the funniest thing about all this, Zach, is the company's responses, because once they sort of got their proverbial hands caught in the cookie jar, then you start getting the statements. And uh, I I want you to tell me which of these two statements is funnier. So when uh, if you go on the hitpiece.com webpage right now, the, the page is gone. It's just a sentence that says, we started the conversation and we're listening. Like, and and so that to me is pretty funny. Like they've already kind of like they got a publicist in there. They're trying to fix their PR disaster. And then you have NFT Music Stream that has responded to all their negative publicity. Lauren, do you have the tweet for us? I think I sent this to you of what NFT Music Stream uh, is saying in response to all the artists saying you can't use my material without my permission. Here's the tweet. Should you wish for your music to be removed by our platform, we will honor your wishes and remove it for you. Simply email verification at nftmusic.com, or sorry, .stream. We are on your side, and we are going to flip the industry on its head by cutting out the middleman and giving control back to you profit-wise. I love this argument, or I love this statement, because it presumes that you are allowed to harm people as long as you give them an opt-out. If you don't want us robbing your house anymore, send us an email at don'trobmyhouse at don'trobmyhouse.com and we'll stop right away. <laughs> See, our heads are to the same place because my first thought was, if you'd like us to stop stealing from your bank account, yeah, exactly. please let us know. Like, Oh, you don't want us robbing from you. Oh, my bad. You know. Now, I got to say, the first one cracks me up on the level of like overly slick 
like where I keep the short and pithy, and it just screams somebody who isn't really learning anything. That's but right. the tweet is just pure gold of somebody. If they paid for that statement, if they paid a publicist, they need their money back. Well, That's real bad. I mean, I would say this. Only one of those two statements was reviewed by a lawyer ahead of time. Because the we hear you and we're listening definitely looked at by a lawyer because it's it is short and quick and it doesn't admit any liability. Contrast that with NFT Music Streams tweet, which all is is basically a written confession. <laughs> like we totally jacked your stuff, but if you don't want us to, just let us know. If you want your money back <laughs> that we may or may not have stolen. Please email me at moron.net. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but the the broader lesson for indie creators here is, yeah, one, if an NFT platform is using your stuff without your permission, like go talk to a lawyer, get your stuff taken, you know, make sure that your your rights are being fought for there. And two, if you want to get into the NFT business, because I do think there is a lane for indie creators here. Please don't use other people's copyrights, trademarks, names, image, likenesses, unless you have their approval. Before we bring in Congressman Deutsch, a quick listener question I wanted to bring up, uh, since we're in the world of copyright infringement. Uh, Letter writer asks, my Twitch viewers like it when I read books aloud on my just chatting stream. Am I allowed to do that? Here's why I like this question, Zach, because when I'm not practicing entertainment law, I'm an education lawyer. I work with a lot of education nonprofits. And this is like the first time in my life that I I have a question that I think involves both sides of what I do. Because I actually have worked with some teachers who like to do online read-alouds where they say, we want to invite the whole school, the whole elementary school, go to this YouTube video because I'm going to read this children's book for all you kids. Uh, This was very popular during lockdowns. A lot of schools were starting to do this, and I think it's delightful. And a lot of those uh, teachers reached out to me and were like, hey, can we read these books? Uh, is that going to be some kind of violation? And in both cases, the the answer is the same. Whether you're going to read a book on a Twitch stream or you are going to read a book to school children on a live stream, if you don't own the rights to use the book, then that would be a public performance of the book, and that's not authorized. What I recommend that uh, some streamers think about here is one find an author that wants to get this positive publicity finding points of collaboration where you can read an author's book there's plenty of independent authors out there who would love the publicity work with them otherwise public domain public domain public domain anything before like 1923 you're all set with so like the old Grimm's fairy tales mother goose type stuff you want to read the great works of shakespeare Go for it. You're going to be in a lot better of a position there than if you read a children's book that came out five, or if you read like a Dr. Seuss book, for example. Leave Hop on Pop alone. That's going to get you in a lot of trouble. Random House seems like a litigious bunch. Uh, yes, and I think the one thing that you highlighted there that I hadn't thought about, Ryan, is I love the idea of reaching out to an independent. There are so many indie authors. Yeah. You think the indie music scene's big? The indie indie writing scene is really big, too. Find somebody, like do a collaboration with them where they can promote whatever you're working on and you can promote their book or short story or whatever. I think that's a great way to reach out. I mean, we talk about music collaborations all the time. Let's, let's do some, you know, cross even beyond genre uh, collaborations. I love it. That's a great overall lesson for indie creators, right? Because they often run into this roadblock where they want to use some other material to help make their material. 
take every instance of potential copyright infringement and turn it into an opportunity for collaboration. If you love somebody's work so much that you want to do something with it on a live stream or otherwise, talk to them. Turn it into a collaboration because it introduces you to a whole new fan base, that creator's fan base, and in, in turn, that creator's fan base gets introduced to your fan base. And to me, that sounds a whole lot better than ending up in federal court. Not saying, De just saying. Debatably. Deba no, just kidding. You of know. <laughs> All right. We're going to take the quickest of breaks and then be joined by our guest, Congressman Ted Deutsch, here on Break the Business. Do not go anywhere. Ryan Corella here. I hope you're enjoying the show, and I hope that you're getting a lot out of it. I do what I do because I care about creators like you. A lot. I've dedicated my career to helping creative professionals, entrepreneurs, and organizations move forward. I do it by hosting this program and I'm also proud to do it in my legal practice. If you're a creative professional looking for solutions-oriented legal services to help you further your goals, I'd love to help. My firm, RKPA, does contracts, commercial law, copyright, trademark, and more. Visit rkpalaw.com to learn more. That's rkpalaw.com. Ryan A. Corella, PA, Miami, Florida. Streaming services for Break the Business provided by L.E.K. Entertainment. L.E.K. Entertainment is a full-service entertainment company offering everything from consultations to full-scale events and productions, including audio and video productions, voiceovers, staged theatrical productions, script and music development, and streaming services. For more information, visit lekentertainment.com. L.E.K. Entertainment wants to help you bring your story to life. Thanks for supporting Break the Business. If you have a question or topic that you want us to discuss, email us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can follow the host, that's me, on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R, and you can follow the show at The BTB Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook, and on all major podcast platforms. And now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Break the Business, everybody. We are on Facebook Live, YouTube Live, Twitch Live, and Twitter Live, and basically any place where you are live streaming, we are there. You can also check us out on all major podcast platforms and on Sirius XM Channel 145. Much love to Slam Radio, and much love to our next guest. He is the congressman for Florida's 22nd Congressional District in the U.S. House of Representatives. He is a leading policy voice on entertainment industry issues. Our guest is a member of the Congressional Songwriters Caucus and has recently introduced legislation to increase radio royalties and to empower independent musicians against streaming services. You can find out more about our guest's work by visiting www.teddeutsch.house.gov. We are happy to welcome Representative Ted Deutsch on a break the business. Hello, Congressman. Uh, hey, thanks. It's great to be with you. Uh, let me first say, if it looks like I'm uh, participating via my phone in some random, possibly seedy parking lot. That is correct. Um, but it works. And I'm on. And I'm actually, I heard you talking about books. I'm going to write a book about my night that got me to this point. But I'm pretty psyched to be with you. So thanks. <laughs> I feel like many congressmen's career ends in like shady parking garages where you appear to be right now. I hope everything's okay. Uh, 
I am. I feel better because in front of me, I'm in a parking lot, and in front of me is a fairly busy sushi place in a strip center. So I think I'm good. I think I'm good. But I, I'm psyched to be talking about music. Psyched to have you here. I have to say, Thanks. this is our our second meeting, actually. Congressman, because I first met you at an ABA Entertainment Law Conference in Miami Beach a few years ago. You were giving a talk there. Uh, Was really impressed by it. And my first thought when I I heard you speak was I was saying to myself, God, this guy's so knowledgeable about the entertainment business. He's so passionate about empowering songwriters and indie creators. But he's from South Florida. He's not from one of the music industry hotbeds in like New York City or Los Angeles. And so I wanted to ask you then, let me ask you now. What got you into entertainment industry issues? Um, but it's a it's a great question. And first of all, it, remember all of the people in the industry and in Los Angeles, in Nashville, Miami. By the way, South Florida is booming, but uh, in the industry. But most of the people weren't born there. They came from someplace else. They came because they wanted to live out their dream. In my case, I grew up in Northeast Pennsylvania. Um, I played piano i played some keyboards uh i never i was never really that good but i have immense respect for people who are for real creators who create real music that we all love and enjoy people deserve to make a living at it and i got to congress and all of a sudden i'm sitting on the intellectual property subcommittee realizing wait a second there's this big battle going on between one set of companies one group of people who are creating all this music and then a set of companies who are using their music for profit, not paying them. I know which side I'm on. I'm going to get involved in this. And that's what I've been doing. That's really, really terrific. And I will say that your side of the debate has had some pretty nice legislative wins recently. Uh, I can think of like, for example, the music modernization act in 2018, that was a a great piece of legislation for creators. And what you're doing now with the American Music Fairness Act is right up there as well. Let me just briefly tell the listeners a bit about what you're working on, and then you can fill in the blanks for us. So right now, folks, the United States is one of, I think, three countries, and the other two countries are not countries you want to emulate, I think, that do not pay royalties to uh, recording artists or owners of sound recordings when music is played on AM and FM radio. Everywhere else in the world it is. Those creators are paid on satellite radio. They're paid on internet radio, but not AM and FM. But uh, our guest here is sponsoring the American Music Fairness Act, which for the first time would create those royalties for those folks. Uh, can, uh, can you tell us a little bit about the status of that, Bill? I know you guys had some uh, hearings recently. Uh, yeah, we just had a, a great hearing in the Judiciary Committee, and um, and we heard from uh, we heard from musicians. We heard from Gloria Stefan. We heard uh, from folks in in making music around the country in Nashville, in Memphis, uh, and they made the point that it's one thing for me to talk about it, but they made the point that it's crazy that America is the United States is one of three countries. By the way, North Korea, Iran, the other two, uh, that <laughs> don't pay, yeah, that don't pay the the performers when their songs are played on the radio. And and as I as I asked in, in my exchange with the broadcasting lobbyist, um, you know, do, do you pay for the DJs? Yeah. Do you pay the talk radio hosts? Yeah. Well, do they sell billions of dollars in ads because of? the music that people want to listen to that they tune into their FM radio to listen to. 
yeah, absolutely. And yet um, they're not getting paid for it. So they're making money. They're not paying for it. It's an old historic wrong. They make the argument that it's all about promotion. We had two years of a pandemic where there's nothing to promote. There, first of all, no one's selling records anymore, and people haven't been touring. And it just highlighted how unfair the system is. So we had a really great hearing. Um, where now we need to push it, and move it forward, and and get it passed in committee and get it to the floor and the whole legislative process. But we got attention now, and that's what we needed. And people recognize this is about fairness, and it's about fairness that does not exist in America right now. And we're going to fix that. And this is the first time a law like this has been proposed. I think in every session of Congress, there's always somebody who is uh, advocating for a fix in this performance royalty that needs to be fixed. Why has it been so hard for this law to change? Why is it so hard to get us to leave the same camp as North Korea and Iran? Yeah. um, Well, one of the uh, look, one of the reasons is that the uh, the broadcasters don't want to pay it and they and they make arguments that that um, year after year are the same. So they, as I said, they say, well, we're going to promote all these musicians and that's worked for all of these years. Well, talk to any of the legacy artists, talk to people who, who aren't touring, can't tour, uh, made music years ago. And, uh, and they're now, may, they should be earning a living from having their songs played on the radio. And they're not. Um, the pandemic is what's different this year. The pandemic is the reason that people have come to understand, one, the importance of music in their lives, which maybe they hadn't thought about quite as much until now. And two, the realization that all these songs they're listening to for, for people who are also trapped at home for months and months because of a pandemic, they ought to be paid. It's just about fairness. And I think people are starting to get it. And that's why we're working so hard. And that's why I'm so grateful to be able to chat about it with you. And I know an argument that a lot of the opponents have made in the past is they would say, oh, a performance royalty for recording artists and owners of sound recordings, that would bankrupt the mom and pop stations, the college radio stations, the independent stations. But you guys actually put a fix for that in this bill, right? Um, we did, and that's another that's another great argument. And we heard it at this hearing, right? We heard the 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 broadcasters uh, lobbyists said, "Well, if you do this, the the local, the poor local uh, radio stations aren't going to be able to invest in emergency uh, response, and they're not going to be able to be there for you when there's a hurricane in Florida, there's a tornado in Kansas, and." It's just not true for the way that we structure this bill, the way that we wrote it, uh, the payments are scaled. And so you can if you're a small mom and pop radio station that does really important work in your community, which we acknowledge, which which we want to make sure can continue. You can uh, you can provide all of the music you want for just a, a, a few hundred dollars a year. That's going to cover it, but it's at least going to show that you recognize the value of the the product that you're putting on the station, and that's the music. How can indie creators help with this? Is there is there does does calling your congressman actually help with this kind of stuff, or writing letters? Like, what should indie creators do right now to help support this effort? Um, you know what? It really does make a difference. Members of Congress uh, all pay attention to the calls they get. Uh, they they listen to their constituents. The fact is. You've got creators who are doing things that um, I'll 
Fillion in a secret. Members of Congress often like to they they like to think that they're maybe cooler than they really are. And if they have a chance, if they often that's the case, and if they have a chance to chat with somebody who's making music in their community, they're going to talk about that. It's going to make sense to them. So yeah, call, tell them that you want them to to sign on to the American Music Fairness Act. Tell them that it's important for creators to get paid. That that the songs that they listen to. Um, they know come from some that the, the people listen to come from them, come from these creators. So when people know about what's happening here, they agree. Um, the fact is the broadcasters spend a whole lot of money going out and telling the members of Congress that things are, are going to be at risk and they're not going to be able to hear the broadcasters. Well, tell them when you call in, tell them that that's not a concern anymore either because we fixed that in this legislation. Um, it's just about fairness. And there's no reason that America shouldn't be uh, a place that respects music and, uh, and that treats musicians fairly. Well, one of the th- arguments that I heard uh, supporting this bill, which I thought was an interesting one, is well, because I've heard a lot of indie, you know, creators say, "Well, my music isn't played on AMFM radio. You know, my music's just played on Spotify. So, what does this uh, law do for me?" And I and I read somebody on who read someone's tweet on Twitter who said, "The streaming services, the Spotify's, the Apple Music's, they are setting their rates low because they can say things like, well, you're not getting anything from radio.'" So, you know, that's what we're bargaining against. So one could argue that by boosting the performance royalties on the AMFM side, it could cause ripple effects to other forms of media that indie creators are on more often, like Spotify, and perhaps push those rates up too. Um, yeah, that's absolutely right. And what happens is they make the, they make the argument that uh, the broadcasters will make the argument that what's, what's happening here is – um, in fact, you're they're, they're paying online. They'll acknowledge, well, we're paying for streaming and that should count for something. And so to your point, if you can't you can't say, well, we're paying something, it's not enough. But because we're paying something, we're not paying anything here. If you pay here, even if your music's not here, then you're also going to create this leverage to, to increase it there. And uh, by the way, it, it's the the independent artists and 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 some of those creators that we're working with to to try to give them the opportunity to directly negotiate better rates at those streaming companies this is a different piece of legislation but i think that's really important too well, i want to talk to you about that one i got that here on the list this is uh okay. what the congressman's talking about is a bill he introduced uh, in october of last year called the protect working musicians act which is a really interesting piece of legislation in fact, I actually encourage our viewers and listeners to actually go and read it on the uh, House of Representatives website because it's not a long bill. You can get through it pretty fast. It's not a thousand pages, but it's a pretty powerful law if you're trying to empower indie creators against uh, platforms like Spotify. Because this bill, if I if I uh, if I read it correctly, Congressman, would allow creators to collectively bargain and negotiate against platforms like Spotify to get better rates without that sort of collective bargaining constituting a violation of antitrust law, right? Uh, that is exactly, that's exactly what it does. The whole idea is you can't expect uh, some indie creator to have a level playing field when they're going to one of the, the huge streaming services. Uh, that's why 
we, we introduced this law so that so that they can work together. And it's only it, it's just trying to make things again. It's about fairness and it's trying to give them a little more strength, a little more power uh, to make sure that that they're they're compensated fairly for for the, the music they're creating. Well, I really commend you for putting that law together because the first time I read it, like it just put a big smile on my face because I'm an entertainment lawyer who works with indie creators. I follow every piece of federal legislation that comes out that impacts the music industry. And there's been some pretty big music industry bills that have come down lately. But for the most part, a lot of those bills, though important, tend to benefit bigger creators and have a smaller effect on indie creators. But when I read the Protect Working Musicians Act, I was like, wow, that is a federal law. That is a piece of federal legislation directly designed for independent creators, for working middle-class musicians. And Ted Deutsch was the person who put that together. And so I commend you for sort of directly targeting that group and wanting to help that group because you acknowledge that this is a group that needs help in the music business right now, particularly amid the pandemic. And it's just a really uh, creative kind of law to do that. Uh, thanks. Listen, we've, we've all seen how the industry has changed so dramatically. And so Congress is, I mean, we're, we're usually a little behind, um, and, and I'm just trying to catch up and trying to help us catch up to what's actually happening now to reflect where, how people get their music, where it comes from, and then to make sure that, uh, that, that the artists are paid. I, I like to point out to people, um, that the, the streaming services, I mean, cell phones uh, have every song in the world on them now, right? And and it doesn't just happen. They don't just they don't just pull this material out of thin air. Like real musicians spent a lot of time writing songs and going in the studio and recording the the music, and they they deserve a, a fair shot and they deserve to be respected. That's, that's all this is about. And the, there, there's been so much power that's now shifted to a handful of companies that, that we just realized we needed to, to try to give some power back to the people who are, who are responsible for the product that made those companies so big to begin with. Can you talk a little bit about the chances of passage of each of these two pieces of legislation? I know the sausage making process can be can be uh, mind boggling. I know that Congress is in the middle of a lot of things right now, but are, yeah. are we looking at a realistic chance of passage for either of these two bills? Um, look, realistically, uh, it's impossible to tell you that uh, that it will or won't happen because yeah. a, a lot of times um, what. I mean, I've been doing this for a while, and sometimes things just, there's there are a million bills floating around out there on every topic you could possibly think of, and sometimes issues just come together, and there's a moment, and people realize that they can take some significant action to to do something to to make in this case uh, to to make a business work better and and show respect for everyone involved in it, especially the people who are um, who are the product here, who are making the product. So I don't I don't know that it's that this is going to happen, but it feels different now, as I said, because there were so many of us during the pandemic who who got this who had this whole new found appreciation for music because it wasn't just in the background as it as it often is for a lot of people it was front and center it was what people did to help them get through some really really tough times and 
I don't think there's anything wrong in reminding my colleagues of that and and having your viewers and listeners call their members of Congress and talk to them, talk to their staff, tell them how important it is. That's what lifts this up. And, and that's what maybe makes this the moment that we can get this done. Well, we're going to have our viewers and listeners do that. We're, we're going to have them call their congressmen. Uh, folks, I, I can tell you, I, I was an intern in the U.S. Senate when I was in college. I was the one answering those phones. And I can tell you that the, the senator I worked for wanted to know every single day who called about what pieces of legislation and what the splits were on it. This stuff really does matter. And so we're going to call on your behalf, uh, Congressman. And, you know, maybe on your end, you do a little bit of legislative maneuvering. I was talking to Zach about this before the show. We're thinking you just take these two pieces of legislation and just staple it to some like really popular resolution, like ice cream is delicious. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, yeah. like as a writer or something, I think that's what they call those things. Right. And, and get these things through. We know it takes some creative maneuvering, but you've been there around long uh, enough. Yeah. I, we're, yeah, we're looking at, we're looking at all of those, <laughs> all of those possibilities. Take the longest bill, put it in the middle yes. and, uh, and we're on our way. It's going right <laughs> into the, I love puppies act. We're going to get uh, independent creators paid. That's as, Hey, saying. as it, as the, listen, as the author of the uh, Prevent Animal Cruelty and Torture Act, the first ever federal animal cruel, anti-animal cruelty legislation, I know how popular that is. We ought to care helping animals and helping musicians because those are two things that Americans love. That's a really good idea. I don't want to meet the member of Congress that's going to vote down the who's the pro-animal cruelty person. Like That doesn't seem like that's a winner at the ballot box. Uh, Congressman, thank you so much for informing us about all this stuff and for tolerating our silliness. Uh, one last question for you, if you yeah. don't mind, before we let you go. Sure. We ask this same question to everybody else who comes on the program, so we want to throw it at you, too. Okay. Do you have any last tips for the indie creators out there to help them move their careers forward? Um, I, I Look, I think they're, they're doing all the, all the things that they know how to do already, which is what I can't help them with at all. Um, certainly if you heard, if you've heard me play, you would know that, you know, why that's the case, but I can tell them, I can tell them that on issues like this, they've got real, they've got stories to tell. It's what their business is, right? It's what, it's what they do every day is they tell stories. They help people tell stories. They make the music for others to tell stories. Um, and in this case, those skills can just be transferred to, to the, the place where I work, go tell those stories to their members of Congress. Like seriously, take one morning, schedule a meeting with your member of Congress or, or their staff. Staff is really important and go in and just tell them why they're there and what they're trying to do. That's how we move this forward. And they have real power that they probably aren't even aware of um, in, in the political system and they should take advantage of it. Fantastic. Congressman, thank you so much for your time. Keep fighting the good fight. All right. Thanks for having me. Take care, guys. Thank you. Right on. Congressman Ted Deutsch, everybody. That was cool, huh? Dude, I'm a, I, I dropped this in the Twitch chat, but that's the most rock and roll congressperson I've ever met in my life. Oh, my God. That he awesome. seems so cool. And again, he like there's lots of laws that get written all the time about the entertainment industry. I mean, the Music Modernization Act that just passed a couple years ago was probably the single biggest piece of entertainment copyright law since the 1909 Copyright Act, right. or at least the 1976 one. But the fact that Congressman Deutsch is out there drafting legislation that is specifically built for helping indie creators. So using the force of federal law 
to help everyday musicians like like you, Zach. That makes him a, a pretty fantastic guy in my book. And I love the fact that he's so close to where I live. The The Florida 22nd is just one county up from where I am. I'm in Miami-Dade. He's up. He represents a beautiful area. He's like you know, Broward County, Coral Springs, Parkland, uh, you know, Palm Beach. Great area, great people there, great communities. And he's fighting for indie creators. So how can you not like the guy? Well, I'll tell you, when, we, when you first told me that he was going to be our guest, I was like, I know that name. And now I know where I know that name is as an animal rights advocate. Um, I'm sure that's where I heard his name previously. It was about that other piece of legislation he had talked talked about. Um, just super cool. Super cool. Go. So lest you be one of those cynics out there, viewers and listeners, who just think that like all politicians are terrible. Remember that there's one politician out there who is pro-indie musician and pro-helping animals. Like we can all <laughs> agree that we can like that guy. Even if we even if we don't trust all the other politicians, let's trust the puppy and indie artist uh, politician. We're we're on board with him. This might be the first episode I've got I've we've got through with me, Ryan, where I have not gone on a angry tirade. Um, so <laughs> it's amazing that it's the politician episode that kept me level. So I appreciate it, Congressman. His next his next campaign commercial is just going to be like like his arm around the coolest musician you can think of while he's like petting the most adorable golden retriever. That'd be awesome. And he's going to win 98% of the vote. It's going to be uh, fantastic. Or he's petting the musician on the head. Or petting the musician on the head. Whatever gets the job done. But, I mean, he needs our help, though. I'm telling you, like, calling your congressman really does help. And if you want an example of what he was saying about musicians being really good lobbyists, look no further to a guest we've had on this program, Ari Hurston, who basically single-handedly as a musician lobby for changes to California labor law that would help independent creators. Like, and, and he did it for the reasons that we talked that, that uh, the Congressman talked about, he went into the offices and politicians generally aren't cool people and they want to be around cool musicians to look more cool. And so they'll bring you into their office. They'll hear what you have to say and you'll have the opportunity to influence policy because Cool people can influence things. Oh. It's, ama- it's it's amazing, you know, unless you be a cynic like me, um, which I'm not going to be because I'm getting through the whole episode. It's also <laughs> nice to hear a <laughs> congressperson talk about how you can actually make a difference because sometimes you feel like, especially in indie creation, sometimes you feel like the deck is stacked against you. Here's something you can do to go out there and take action to help your future. And it's nice to have at least one person in the halls of Congress fighting for us. Before we sign off for this week, Zach, uh, you were talking to me before the show about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nominees that just got announced. And I got so engrossed with ranting about uh, alleged NFT scams (laughs) that I I, I completely forgot about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which is weird because it's one of my go-to podcast rants. Like whenever it happens, it's like Eurovision. I'm going to devote a whole show to it because I'm obsessed with it. And I straight up missed it this week because uh, of everything that was going on. But thankfully, you caught it. What are your feelings? Who even got nominated? I thought we were getting through an episode without me ranting. All right, let me, here's the deal. (laughs) Never. We've got some problems. First of all, stop calling it the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's the Music Hall of Fame. That's fine. Uh, That's fair. Beck is nominated. Great. Love it. Uh, I'm shocked he's not in. Pat Benatar, how is she not in already? I don't understand. Kate Bush, Devo, how are they not in? Duran Duran. Eminem is up for his first year, which seems early to me, but apparently he's been around that long and I'm old. Uh, the Eurythmics, <laughs> Judas Priest. I was thinking Priest. back, I was like, wow, it has probably been long enough, which makes me feel sad. I know. Like, these are all, like, 
at some point, why aren't they just admitting, like, don't nominate 15, just let them all in. There's no names on this list that are terrible. You haven't named a single nominee where I'd go, oh, they don't deserve to get in yet. Every one of those. Yeah, the MC5 is up. The New York Dolls, like, Dolly Parton. New York Dolls still, they're one of the architects of, like, the punk scene, my God. Yes, yeah, I mean, like, we can rant about that. Lionel Richie, Carly Simon, Tribe Called Quest. I mean, uh, Rage Against the Machine. All these, like, just say yes to all of them and, you know, say yes to, I don't know, man. You know, I'm just in too good of a mood from talking about uh, indie creators making more money in animals to be really angry other than to say, let them all in. They're all great. Every every last I mean, of those names, Dolly Parton's getting in now, right? Because of just, you know, like— how is she not? The lady's like she basically cured COVID. I think we can let her into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah, I just don't. I don't understand. I don't understand how she's not already in, which is yeah. what blows my mind. You gave me a bunch of names just now where I, I, I'm pretty shocked that they all are in it, especially because a lot of those names are like the kind of older sort of you know under the radar musicians that the boomers and you know silent generations at. That, that run the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, they love those kind of artists. They love yeah. the Kate Bushes. They love right. the New York Dolls. Like, those, like, that is, like, I get it when, like, it takes forever for a a band like Bon Jovi to get in because it took them a long time. Right. Or, right. or like, uh, somebody like Lionel Richie is going to have a little bit of trouble getting in because the perception is, oh, they're too poppy, they're too commercial. But, I mean, New York Dolls and Kate Bush, that is, like, right up their alley. Like, that's pure rock and roll. They were... You know, they, they are architects of their subgenre and, you know, and, and have achieved so, so much and have inspired generations of musicians after them. I mean, did, did I read, did I have this right that Mariah Carey's still not in yet? I do not believe she is. That's, uh, Lauren, that's, can you confirm that for us? If so, that's nuts. So, but, it, but I mean, it, there, I think there is this interesting thing with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame or the Music Hall of Fame, which is, I'm just going to call it that now because this is ridiculous. Um, is that I don't – it has never been completely clear to me, and I've read the criteria how people are selected. It's like 25 years after your first record, okay, fine, but then how do they pare it down from that? It seems so painfully subjective that, of course, there are going to be oversights. Like, Dolly Parton's not in already? Really? Yeah. She put out her first record, I think, 213 years ago, and she still <laughs> looks like it was five years ago. I know. She, maybe, maybe that's what it is. I think, I think the judges got tricked. <laughs> just because of how she, you know, because she hasn't aged. She looks exactly the same that she did in, like, 1989. And so they're like, she's only been in the game for, like, five years, right? We can't put her in the Hall of Fame yet. Yeah. Maybe maybe that's it. Or maybe, you know, as if country music isn't gender discriminatory enough as it is, maybe that's a holdover from that as well. I don't know. It's just, it, that was the name that I saw. And I was like, what do you mean she's not in? That's ridiculous. Part of the problem, because... We've done a deep dive in, onto this in, in past episodes. Part of what keeps a lot of artists out of the Hall of Fame that really should be in is you, all you have to do is look at the composition of the people that are making the selection. They tend to skew older. They tend to skew maler. They tend to skew whiter. And so the folks that are getting in are disproportionately in those categories and it, so it, it takes women a little bit longer to get in. It takes a, a lot of black artists uh, more time to get in. And because these folks tend to be older, they tend to be less accommodating to genres that are a little outside the norm. So it takes hip-hop artists a little bit longer and country artists a little bit longer. And um, if you are 
if the perception is that your music's a little too commercial, that tends to be a knock against you. It took Bon Jovi forever to get in. And say what you will about Bon Jovi if you if you don't think that like they are, you know, as like artistically meritorious or whatever. Like they're a great band and they have just quantitatively tons of hit songs, tons of awards. They and so like the only way you're keeping them out is just like some kind of absurd snobbery because mm-hmm. they've checked off all the boxes. Mariah Carey's in that category too. Like if you're not letting her in it's just because you don't like her music. But in terms of you know the amount of number 1 hits she has, I think she had like the most number ones of all time until very recently. Uh-huh. One Sweet Day had the longest stretch at number 1 uh, until very very recently. So quantitatively in terms of the impact she's had on her genre, that can't be disputed. So if you're not letting her in, it's just snobbery and that's not a good enough reason for me. And so Lauren did confirm, not only is she not in, they asked her to induct Gladys Knight and the Pips, which not saying they shouldn't be in, they should be in, but the fact that she's inducting, let me throw some facts at you. Yeah. Five Grammys, 33 nominations, 35 top 40 hits. Don't, (laughs) what are we talking about? That's like three albums worth of (laughs) top 40 hits. Dude, no, this is like, that's four albums of, dude, I mean, uh, we'll, we'll, We'll argue about how many songs are on an album, but like, <laughs> I just don't get it. And that what I I just dude I I don't get it. Just I, I, fine, she's not your cup of tea. Whatever, Devo's not my cup of tea either. But I get why they deserve to be there. Let's just all be cool. Yeah, it's it, it's ridiculous. But again, if if the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame judges were younger, then we'd see a lot of these. You know, and, and not that like Mariah Carey's in her twenties anymore, but if we can at least get some more judges in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that are you know thirties or forties, I mean, I remember they 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 put, they made Questlove one of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame judges, and that was considered like super progressive, but like Questlove was like in his late forties at the time or something yeah. like that. So there's still a long way to go. So you told me, let me let me see, did I hear this right that they called Mariah Carey? They had Mariah Carey introduce Gladys Knight and the Pips, but not induct her. Can you imagine that phone call? She's picking it up. Hey, this is so-and-so from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And Mariah Carey's like, oh, God, finally. Yes, my day has come. And they're like, we'd like for you to induct Gladys Knight and the Pips. Dude, that's brutal. That is brutal. Uh, my absolutely. Only, my heart bleeds for her. My only hope is, is that when they called her, she wasn't eligible yet, so she knew. Mm. But also... Like I also think Mariah Carey might be the like the legit type of like Aretha Franklin style diva who does not care. Like, well, why should she? She's, I mean, she's, she's a lot bigger than they are. Yeah, I th- I just I, mean, I th- she I could just imagine Mariah Carey. This isn't even on her radar. Because I could imagine them keeping Taylor Swift out for a few extra years just to be jerks. I'm guessing she won't give a, a, a hoot. Yes, she won't care. <laughs> yeah, as as well she shouldn't. All right. Our thanks to Congressman Ted Deutsch for joining us this week and making us a whole lot smarter. My thanks to you, Zach, for uh, hanging out. This has been an absolute pleasure. Our thanks to our producer, Lauren, as always, for making all this keep humming. And thank you all, viewers and listeners, for checking out Break the Business. It has been an absolute pleasure having you here this week, and we'll see you next week. 